0: I should say we won first prize for our. Look at that. Tell them the truth. Really? Really? Well, you know, if you are the only person to enter that category, what can I say? Our favorite bit about it was we, um, we won best musical float. We hadn't even got the sound working at that point. <laughs> um, so we've been, over these past few weeks, we've been looking at the answer to the question, what must I do, that comes out of that passage in Acts chapter 2. And so we've been talking about repenting, turning away from stuff and to God. We've been talking about believing, putting our whole weight of our trust onto Jesus, leaning completely on him. We've talked about the gift and the grace of forgiveness, that God forgives us whatever. There is nothing that he cannot forgive. He forgives us, and therefore we can forgive ourselves and one another. We've talked about baptism And now we're doing it, which is properly exciting. We've talked about belonging and being part of a church community together with Christians across our country and across the world that we belong to something, to a family that's bigger than ourselves. And today we got super organized and managed to do Receiving the Holy Spirit on Pentecost. Actually, that's just enough to make me and Phil happy, to be honest, that we've got organized. So in a few moments... So you can get your adrenaline going. We will be baptizing three people. And we're going to be baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And that's really important that it's all the parts of the Trinity. If I was to ask you to draw a picture of God the Father, I wonder what you would draw. I've told these guys I've got to engage. So what would you draw if I said, draw a picture of God the Father? A lion, Tom, that's really good. This is why we have the youth in. (laughs) A face, what else might you draw? Somebody with a big beard. Young or old? Old. Okay, yeah, that's it, isn't it? We have this kind of ancient, old father, that kind of a sense of a uh, maybe a bit austere kind of character, a bit serious, definitely old, and sort of seated, don't know why, it's always seated. Maybe your imagination takes you to sort of the Sistine Chapel and to that hand of God stretched out, you know, the one where the other hand touches it. If I said, draw a picture of Jesus, what would you draw? Long hair? A lamb? are? Oh, all... oh. <laughs> <laughs> you know what happens? You know what happens if you're on the subs bench? Partway through, you get brought on. Okay, so just warning it. You might draw sandals. You might draw someone that looks kind of Middle Eastern. You, you might put Jesus on the cross because that might be your image. What about if I say draw a picture of the Holy Spirit? Ah, now what you're going to draw? Fire. A dove. Water. Wind. You're going to be super clever if you can draw that. (laughs) Okay, now I can't hear anymore. Somebody shout for that? No. So, yeah, the dove. That's the one I chose. No, it's not working. It is is working. Yay. Yay. Because it's a, the, the Holy Spirit appeared as a dove when Jesus was baptized, didn't he? So we kind of understand that. Water is a symbol for the Holy Spirit through the Old Testament and into the New Testament. There's oil, the anointing oil. It's in one of those anointing oil things that you pour. You might have thought of that because oil is a symbol of the Holy Spirit. Fire, tongues of fire came on them. The wind or the breath. Jesus says you can't see the wind, but you can see what it does. So if you were clever, you might have drawn bent over trees or something because that's a sign of the Spirit. Or maybe you drew something that looks a little bit like a ghost because you're not really quite sure what the Holy Spirit looks like. And, and in the authorised version, it used to say, Holy Ghost, didn't it? And some of us are immediately jumping to that scene in Four Weddings and a Funeral, but we won't say any more about that. <laughs> You see, the Holy Spirit, the word in Hebrew is a word that sounds a bit like it is, ruach. Do you want to practice that? See, it's got a proper gutturalness, hasn't it? It just means breath, breath or wind. The Greek word is pneuma, from which we get our word pneumatic, also to do with air. The breath of God. And right in the very beginning, in Genesis chapter 1, when nothing was created, it says that the breath, the Ruach of God, was hovering, brings back that dove thing, doesn't it? Hovering over the waters. In the very beginning, the Holy Spirit was there, creating and bringing life. The Spirit of God gives life. Order in chaos. Chaos beauty in the mess, light in the darkness. That same spirit who was there at creation is the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. And then you can cheer even louder this next time. That same spirit who raised Jesus from the dead. Wait, 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 wait. That same spirit who raised Jesus from the dead lives in us. That was quite good. It's not a thing. It's not a kind of ghostly presence. A person, the person of the Holy Spirit, with characteristics, who loves and grieves, has feelings, who longs to encounter us. So I want to talk just for a few minutes about the role of the Holy Spirit so that we kind of get it. I want to read to you a few verses from John Starting at uh, chapter 15, let's turn the Bible the right way up, it always helps. And it's a little bit complicated, but just bear with me for a minute, because it's things that Jesus said just before he was about to leave the disciples. So chapter 15 and verse 26, he says this, When the counsellor comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. And then in chapter 16... And verse 7 I tell you the truth, it's for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the counselor will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment. In regard to sin, because men do not believe in me. In regard to righteousness, because I am going to the Father, where you can see me no longer. And in regard to judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears. And he will tell you what is yet to come. He will bring glory to me by taking from what is mine and making it known to you. When we opened the baptistry this morning, it hadn't been opened for a while other than to show a few year nines from the girls' high school. And there was quite a lot of cobwebs and dead spiders in there. But there aren't any (laughs) more. See, that's what happens when you open something that's been closed for a long time. You see what's really there. And one of the things that the Holy Spirit does is he turns the light on. In the dark cupboard where you've chucked everything in over years, and a few spiders have come to rest, he turns the light on, and he shows us what it's like. And the word for that is conviction, conviction. He convicts us about things as they really are, that's truth. Truth is things as they really are from God's perspective. And that's what the Holy Spirit does. He convicts us about our sin. That means that we're just separate from God and we're living life our own way. He convicts us about the way we hurt each other. He convicts us about our need for forgiveness and that we need to be made clean. Conviction takes us forward and positively allows us to change. Condemnation which is what the enemy does, says you're a miserable worm, you are worthless, and there's nothing that's ever going to change in you, so you might as well get used to it. Which one would you like? The conviction, which allows you to see the truth and move forward and be different, or the condemnation that just says, oh, you're just rubbish, and there's no point, and you might as well give up now. But the Holy Spirit, who turns the light on, brings conviction. He says, this is how it is right now in your life, And here's how you can change. Oh, and by the way, I'll give you the strength to do it. He gives us a clear sense of right and wrong, to turn away from things, to set stuff right, to restore relationships. He shows up our true state before God. Let me ask you a question. How do you how do people know that they need finding if they don't know that they're lost? How do they know that they need saving if they don't know that they're in danger? See, that's what the Holy Spirit does, because all three of you were not in this church a couple of years ago, and you didn't know Jesus, but now you do, because the Holy Spirit has made it clear to you who Jesus is. It says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 4 that the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so they cannot see the light of the gospel in Jesus Christ. So sometimes you're talking and you're sharing your story and you're sharing your faith and it's like nothing. Brick wall. That's because the God of this age has blinded people from seeing who Jesus is. But the Holy Spirit turns the light on. and he, You think, why have I suddenly come to know Jesus? It's because the Holy Spirit turned the light on. He showed it, showed Jesus to you. See, the Holy Spirit always helps us to understand who Jesus really is. If you are in a gathering that seems spiritual, because spiritual is like properly in, isn't it? To be spiritual. If you're in a gathering that is spiritual, but doesn't have Jesus, the Son of God, at the center, then it's not the Holy Spirit spiritual. Do you understand? Because the Holy Spirit always points us to Jesus. He always honors Jesus. And some of you have known about Jesus for maybe ever. You've known about him. In fact, you might have even decided that he's not relevant to you. Maybe you've just thought, well, he's a good moral teacher. Or maybe I'll point you to C.S. Lewis who says it's not possible for Jesus to be a good moral teacher because someone who said the things that Jesus said and then couldn't back them up was a bad person, a fraud, a deluder. So either he was bad or he was mad, or he was God. Maybe you had that thought, but someday you changed. You recognized him, Jesus, Savior, Lord, and God, worth everything, your everything, worth your life, died in your place. Not everybody else's, but yours. The Holy Spirit enables us to see Jesus for who he is. Do you remember the story in John's Gospel, where Nicodemus comes to speak to Jesus. Nicodemus is like a rabbi. He's part of the Jewish council. And he thinks, who is this Jesus? He comes in at the night because he doesn't want anyone to see him. And he talks to Jesus. And Jesus says, flesh gives birth to flesh. He says, you need to be born of of water. You need to be born naturally. Well, of course you do, because otherwise you wouldn't be here, would you? But he also says, spirit gives birth to spirit." that we need to have a spiritual rebirth as well. He talks about the fact that you can't see the wind, but you can see its effects. You can see what the Spirit does. We need to be born again. Yeah, but that's not a super popular phrase these days, is it? Being born again. I mean, in fact, people have even said to me, oh, you're not like one of those born-again Christians. Well, that's just slightly confusing to me. But what they mean is a little box where certain types of people go, who are like a bit wacky, a bit extreme, a bit. But actually, the phrase born again is not in the Bible at all. It actually says, Jesus actually says to Nicodemus, you need to be born from above. You need to be born from heaven. So just as you've had an earthly birth, so you need to have a heavenly one. Just as you've had one of flesh, so you need to have a spiritual birth. You need to be born again, as in you need to be spiritually reborn, as we embrace Jesus as Saviour and Lord. I want to say something to you. You cannot be a Christian without the Holy Spirit. So if you're feeling a little bit anxious about all this this morning, you cannot be a Christian without the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit helps you to be born again and he lives within you. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, it says that we are a temple of the Holy Spirit. God's presence used to live in a temple built by stones and human hands, but now the Spirit lives within us. We are the temple. Paul says in Ephesians, it's like a deposit that God puts in us guaranteeing all that is to come. So if this is what we have now and it's just a deposit, the future's going to be amazing, isn't it? The Holy Spirit helps us to know that we belong to God. One of the biggest questions that people ask is, how can I be sure that I'm a Christian? How do I know? What, What about if I haven't been so good this week? Have I stopped being a Christian? How can I be certain in Romans chapter 8, it talks about the fact that we are adopted into God's family. That he has chosen us, that we belong to him. It talks about the fact that the spirit has made us alive. It talks about the fact that we can call God Abba, Father. So do you remember when we were drawing our pictures of God the Father? Yeah, and he looked like old with a big beard and ancient and sat on a throne. Yeah. So what Paul says in Romans there is, we can call that god our father abba daddy it's amazing isn't it we can have that kind of belonging connection to god our father because of the spirit in us we can be certain that we are loved that we belong that we know jesus as our savior we can have that dependence on him anyone know how many times a minute you breathe on average there's a lot of medics here they should know Let's, let's have a guess, shall we? Per minute. Yeah, I've got 18 on my piece of paper. 17's a good guess. So if you play the flute like I do, sometimes you can last a whole lot of minutes without breathing at all. But technically you breathe about 18 times a minute. Because that's what gives you life. So we need to breathe in the Holy Spirit. We need to receive Him in that same way. Because we are utterly dependent upon Him. At the end of Matthew, Jesus is talking to his disciples. He says, I'm going to leave. This is what's going to happen. You're going to wait for me, and you're going to receive the Holy Spirit. But then he breathes on them, and they receive the Holy Spirit. We move on a little bit. Jesus has ascended into heaven. In Acts, he says, wait here in Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit comes. But they've already received the Holy Spirit But then he says, well, wait until you get the Holy Spirit. And then in Acts 2, which is what I read to you a few moments ago, it says, on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came on them in a hugely big way. You cannot be a Christian without receiving the Holy Spirit. But we also need the power and ongoing filling of the Holy Spirit in order to live for Christ. And it doesn't matter whether we call it the filling or the outpouring or the baptism or whatever, just have it. Just make sure that you receive the continual filling of the Holy Spirit. Paul encourages us, be continually filled with the Holy Spirit. How many of you have ever tried turning over a new leaf? Or signing up for a program, you know, couch to 5K or lose three stone in four days, you know, one of those. And the first day, you're really, really up for it. And the second day, you really really up for it and then on the third day the chocolate biscuit is calling to you it's calling your name it's really hard to change isn't it it's hard to turn over a new leaf it's hard to even keep with the program even being baptized is sorry it's not going to make you perfect i'm sorry now we need the power of the holy spirit to enable us to live for god He is the one that produces the character of Jesus within us. Do you remember when we did the fruit of the Spirit a little while ago? He's the one that gives us gifts to serve each other and build up the church. He's the one that produces the evidence of Christ in the church, the church across the UK and beyond. He's the one that leads or propels us into sharing our story with people. Do you remember Peter? He's the one that, when Jesus was in the court, he said, oh, No, I've never, never met him. No, nope, don't know him. No, nope, never met him ever in my life. Never heard of him. And then on Pentecost, he's standing in a place a bit like Trafalgar Square and preaching to all these people. Why? Because the Holy Spirit has made him brave. The Holy Spirit has done something in him. So that's it. So we repent, we turn away, and we turn to God. We believe, we put our whole trust in Jesus as Savior and Lord. He's taken everything, all our sin, everything that we've ever done wrong on the cross because he loves us and he wants us to belong to him and to know God as Father. Many of us have been baptized, some of us are still thinking about it, some of us are about to do it. And we receive the Holy Spirit. And one of the things that Phil and I will do for you today is to pray for you to receive the power of the Holy Spirit because you can't do it on your own. And on this Pentecost Sunday, let's pray that again for us, for each one of us, for our church, for the church, that God's Spirit will fill us and enable us to be the kind of people that he needs us to be for his glory and honor. Amen. and it's me